0: Hi, everybody. So before we get started, I just want to randomly plug another podcast that I just got really, really into. It's kind of new, I'd say. I think they're like on like episode 35 right now. So, wait, that's not new. That makes no sense. Why did they say that? Anyway, this podcast is called Otherworld. One word, Otherworld. World. I hate that word. I can never say it. If you love spooky, if you love really unexplainable podcasts or just unexplainable shows, uh, you know, paranormal anything, you will love this show. Guys, I've been looking so, so long now to find a good paranormal podcast. And so many of them I can't get into because it's just somebody telling a story, but there's nothing, there, there are no like added effects to it. You know, like there's no music or sound, sound effects or anything. And so many times they just become a little bit boring and not scary. Because honestly, like you, you need to add a little punch to it, you know? Otherworld does just that. Uh, The host, I think his name is Jack Wagner, he does a great job of literally adding this creepy music in as these people recount these unexplainable events. And I'm not even, I I don't want to just say totally paranormal because they're not always paranormal. A lot of these people have sleep paralysis. And some of them, you don't have to believe uh, believe their stories or not, but some of them are just flat out crazy, so weird, There is an episode where a guy claims that a jinn gave him an HJ hand drop. A jinn is like a demon, like in Islamic culture. What? There's another episode where a woman claims that a demon was communicating to her through her phone through dog barks. Yeah, like woof woof. woof, I'm dreaming. Yeah, it's so so good. Otherworld. I cannot recommend it enough. It's creepy. It's weird. It's so entertaining. New episodes every week. I think every Tuesday. Check it out. So so good. I'M REVIEWING HERE! I'm good at harmonizing. Oh, I sound a little bit like Britney there. I'm good. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I'M REVIEWING HERE, a podcast where I, Matthew Bussey, watch and review, sight and sounds, top greatest movies of all time. Man, oh man, oh man, what a week. Uh, Shabbat Shalom. It's not Shabbat when this episode comes out, but it's Shabbat right now when I'm recording it. I know I should not be recording on Fridays, uh, just in general. I should be out. I should be doing things, but I had a long week. I Things got pushed back so much this week, and I feel good, though. I'm so in the mood right now to just talk, 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 and I'm especially excited to talk about today's movie because it's like one of my favorite movies ever, so good. And I just lit the Shabbat candles and I'm drinking the wine and I recited part of the Kiddush because I still can't recite the full thing. Uh, and I'm already breaking Shabbat rules because I'm using technology right now. But eh, nobody's perfect. Who cares? I do it my own way. How is everybody doing? I hope that you're all doing great. So um, when this episode comes out, I'm sure that there will be more episodes of that that show, The Idol, on Max. Have, have, have any of you watched that show, The Idol? Okay, I just watched the first episode. Holy shit. It's so, like, I knew it would be dark because it's from the creator of Euphoria. This, like, I don't know how I feel about it. Now, it's only been one episode, so I don't know what will happen if it'll get better. I was not very impressed with the first episode, though. It was, like, disturbing in a way that wasn't even good. It was disturbing in a way that just felt very exploitative and, like, just shocking for no reason at all. I mean, it's a shame, though, because it's so stylish. And, you know, Lily-Rose Depp, oh, my God, she is so beautiful and so good. And also Rachel Sennett, who plays her assistant on the show. You may recognize her. She was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies last year. She was in this fantastic Jewish comedy called Shiva Baby that came out, unfortunately, during 2020. Uh, oh, God, I don't know. I hope it gets better, though. Uh, Yeah. Not a lot of happy things on TV. Oh no, that's not true. Never have I ever just started and I've been like binging that all day. Except I just went on YouTube and some idiot just made the title of the episode of the YouTube video the end the a spoiler to how the show ends. Son of a bitch or bitch, whoever posted that. Why do people do that on YouTube? God damn. Well, anyway. Today's movie, my friends, is, like I said, one of my favorites. Uh, Not like one of my top ten favorites, but it's the type of movie that just has that instant effect on you. It is a very deep movie, yet a very simplistic movie. It's by a very controversial, very divided, uh, no, I said that wrong, very divided, divided. Why can't I say that word? Filmmaker named Lars von Trier. Uh, This movie came out in 2011, and... I cannot wait to talk about it. This, my friends, is Melancholia. Take a listen and get ready. This trailer is so good. We're alone. Life is only on Earth. And not for long. I've never seen you look so happy. Enjoy it while it lasts. I myself hate marriages. She ruined my wedding. I will not look at her. Is everybody in your family still grieving mad? I thought you really wanted this. But I do. What star is there? is just going to pass right in front of us. And it's going to be the most beautiful sight ever. It's going to be a lot different. What did you expect? I'm afraid of that stupid planet. Dad said there's nothing to do. Then he's forgotten about the magic. I want us to be together when it happens. that music. I have that song on my Spotify. It is uh oh my god, what is the music? Oh, it's from Tristan and Isolde. Remember Tristan and Isolde? It was like I think it's like there's Romeo and Juliet and then there's Tristan and Isolde. They actually made a movie of Tristan and Isolde with uh James Franco back in 2006, but I didn't see it. It's an opera, uh and that music is like the only music in all of melancholia and it is so powerful and so beautiful and like makes me cry. No, it doesn't. Oh my God, melancholy. Where the hell do I begin with this movie? It was October 2011. I was a very obnoxious junior at Temple University in Philadelphia. I was volunteering at the Philadelphia Film Festival. They were showing this movie. I believe it was the weekend. I volunteered to work it. We got everybody in. It was like a full house. They let us go in and watch it, but we got really crappy seats. We got seats all the way in the back, which I hate sitting in the back. I hate it. If you like sitting in the back of the theater, screw you. Just kidding. Um, They let us watch it. I've never been, till then, I had never been so shook by a movie before. Watching this movie in a theater, listening to that music, it, it, there's nothing else like it. Like, I mean it. There really is nothing else like it. This movie is just so immense. I think immense is kind of the word to say it. And I just remember when the movie ended, nobody got up from their seats. And I remember, too, when it ended, like, I, I, I very vividly remember this. Like, I, our chairs, our seats were, like, rumbling. Like, like kind of like like taking off on an airplane, you know? That is what it was like. It's just incredible. It's so incredible how a movie can do this. And I think what is really even more astounding is that this is a movie by a man, like I said, named Lars von Trier. Lars von frickin' Trier. Okay, this... I I could, like... I don't know everything about this guy. You know, I'm sure other film podcasts have, like, devoted episodes about this guy there may even be a podcast about Lars von Trier for all I know but Lars von Trier he's a Danish filmmaker um and he is very 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 controversial I've said this a lot in these episodes how there is like a lot of filmmakers they feel like there's like a rule book you know like when they're making a movie I know, I've said this, like, ad nauseum, you know, like, okay, if you're going to make a movie, there needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end, and some things need to make sense, and and there needs to be some logic. With Lars von Trier, eh, uh not at all. You know, I remember um, Shia LaBeouf did a movie with him, and, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said kind of what I just said. He said, you know, there is, like, a rule book when it comes to movies, but um, Lars von Trier just rips up that book and just throws it out the window and does not use it yeah this guy is extreme um and i don't want to like scare you but i just want well let me start off with the beginning with the von Trier, because i feel like early von trier like 90s early 2000s von trier his movies were very intense but they, they were like you know you you, you could kind of make it through them to an extent at least but he was um He's been directing forever. He's been writing and directing forever. I actually don't think he's ever even been to the United States because he doesn't like to fly. Uh, He started uh, this film movement in Denmark called Dogma 95. He started it with this other great director named uh, Thomas Vinterberg. It's very, very similar to the French New Wave movement. Dogma 95 is very much like make movies about ordinary people, There can be some kind of story to it. But um, the big thing with Dogma 95, though, is film it like uh, pretend that you're basically filming it with no budget. You know, that's kind of what it is about. No big effects, no big cinematography, no big epic shots or anything like that. No music, no huge actors. None of that. I even found uh, this page where there were all these rules that were uh, you had that had to be applied to Dogma 95. Here are a few of them this is like crazy but this is all true the director cannot be credited in the movie okay no special lighting uh the film needs to be in color the film cannot be filmed on 35 millimeter uh quote no superficial action <laughs> so yeah so that he did a few of those movies he he um he did one movie Oh, God, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. But, like, one of his earlier movies was very much a famous Dogma 95 movie. And it was uh, very well done, but it did disturb the, the uh, crap out of me. I think I had to watch it in film school. I think it was called The Idiots. Is that what it was called? Yeah, it came out in the late 90s. Oh, I can't I can't remember. It was either that or one that, um, uh, uh, what was it, Vin- Thomas Vinterberg did. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he started making movies like that. And then I feel like in the late 2000s, he kind of broke off from Dogma 95 and started making... And also, I should say, um, he was getting big actors, too, in Dogma 95. I think at at the time, they may not have been huge, like big, prolific actors, but that started to change a little bit. Like, for example, he did a great movie... In 1996 called Breaking the Waves. It's like it's like almost three hours long, but it's so good. I haven't seen it in forever. But it stars Emily uh, Emily Watson. No, not Emma Watson. <laughs> Sorry, she wasn't born yet. Or she was, but she was like five. Emma Watson, Stellan Skarsgård, who is in a lot of Lars von Truer movies. You'll recognize him. He's Alexander Skarsgård's father. Who's Alexander Skarsgård? Alexander Skarsgård is Eric in True Blood and Tarzan in Tarzan. Um... Stellan Skarsgård, oh my god, Skarsgård, that's a hard th- word to say a million times. He's he's a Swedish actor, but he's in a ton of Von Trier movies. But Breaking the Waves is just a remarkable character study. And he also did another movie in 2003 with a huge cast called Dogville that kind of broke the Dogma 95 role in a way because it did have a huge prolific cast like Nicole Kidman and Willem Dafoe and uh, Patricia Clarkson and Chloe Sevigny and all these people but it's strictly a Dogma 95 movie and that the whole movie is filmed like on a sound stage literally on a sound stage and all the actors are supposed to be in these like sets except there are no roo- there there are no roofs or or walls or anything it's so weird I, it's so friggin' weird he followed up with that with a movie called Mandorlay which was like a sequel but uh Bryce Dallas Howard replaced uh Nicole Kidman in it but anyway what was i saying i got carried away Um, apologies too, because yeah, this, um, I swear I am going to get to Melancholia, but you just, you have to know if, if, if you don't know Lars von Trier, you have to know him before you watch Melancholia. And I don't want to scare you because Melancholia is a depressing movie, but it's much more watchable than a lot of other von Trier movies. And I I say this and I I just want to give like a little trigger warning because, uh, this next movie I'm talking about, the movie that, uh, von Trier did, before Melancholia, is one of the most uh, intense, brutal films of all time. It's one of the most controversial movies of all time. So it's called Antichrist. Antichrist, Melancholia, and then uh, Von Trier's movie that he did after that called Nymphomaniac, they're actually all part of a trilogy. It's it's Von Trier's Trilogy of Depression. That's what it's called. I don't know if he calls it that if he calls it that, but that's what, um, like all the film critics called it. But yeah, so Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac. Melancholia is the most watchable one and the best made one, in my opinion. Antichrist came out in 2009. It's, it's a, an art house horror movie starring Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, an amazing French, English actress, uh, I can't even explain it because I, I literally, I cannot explain it without cringing and making my, my, my stomach drops a little bit. Two words. Genitals. That's the first word. Second word. Oh, God, I can't even say it. Right, I'm just, okay, I'm just going to say it. Mutilation. Okay, that's it. That's all I'm going to say about Antichrist. That's all I'm going to say about Antichrist. Yeah, that's Antichrist for you. That's Antichrist. Oh, and you see it. Oh, it's all fake. We know it's fake, except it's so real, and Von Trier just does not care. He's going to show you things you're not supposed to see, and he does not care. Nymphomaniac is a two-part movie, Are also starring Shirley Gainsburg. Nymphomaniac, if you don't know that word, it's the sex addict. Nymphomaniac is a movie featuring real, unsimulated sex between... The actors, except it wasn't really the actors having sex. The actors were pretending and they had these like CGI like sticker things around their genitals. And then Von Trier filmed real porn actors. Like he inserted their shots of them actually blinking and then CGI would them onto the actors. Yeah. It's all real. It's all real. Um... And when I say real, I mean, like, the extremeness of, of the Von Trier movie. There's a scene in Infomaniac where Shirley Gainsbourg, she's also in that movie, she gets spanked with, like, a flogger or whatever. And I'm not talking, like, Fifty Shades, like, ooh, this looks this is a sexy scene. No, she gets flanked so much that her butt is bleeding and bruised, and you see it up close. Like, who? I was a total dick. One time I um, was at my friend's house and Nymphomaniac was on Netflix and I put that scene on. They were all having a party and I went, guys, look. And they all came in and were like, what is this? I know. I was really annoying. Oh, man. All right. Wow, I'm already like 18 minutes in. Okay, uh, almost 18 minutes. Um, Lars von Trier, though, look, read him up. Read him up and definitely watch one of his movies. I I would definitely say start with Melancholia because Melancholia, I think, is... One of his best. I I don't know if it's his actual best. I think Breaking the Waves is... is I don't know. It may be like a tie between this and and Melancholia. But Melancholia is basically a sci-fi, science fiction character study that really revolves around two sisters. And it's got a very simple premise. Here's the premise. There's a planet in outer space, of course, and it is orbiting towards Earth and it's going to literally collide with earth and kill everybody on earth. Now that's actually a real thing. Uh, god, I hope it does not happen. I mean, please. Like imagine like literally we got through covid and now we have to deal with a planet freaking hitting us. Um it is a thing it's called uh Nib- Nibiru cataclysm. I think that's what it's called. And it's a real term. Um it was kind of like a doomsday belief that a lot of people, a lot of doomsday people that's actually what Like they're called, they believed that that was going to happen in the early 21st century. They thought a planet was going to come and collide with earth. Kind of like when people thought 2012, like everybody was going to die. And then they made that movie 2012, except it came out in 2009. So it didn't make any sense. And then 2012 came and we're all here. Yeah. That's a real thing. I think what's so, what's so incredible about melancholia is, well, it's a lot of things. The acting is phenomenal. The cinematography, the music, just the power of it all is is remarkable. I think what is so unforgettable about it, though, is that it kind of has this like dichotomy, and that it is a heavy movie, but it also is a. It's, I kind of said this already. It's a heavy movie, but it's a very simple movie too. You really understand what this is all trying to say and what it's what it's about and it's like you don't even totally get if there is a moral to the movie. You understand what it is. You you get like the relationships and everything that that Von Trier shows in the movie. And it's not really like they're they're so significant, but they are in that they just are so real, you know? It's like you fall for, you You literally feel for every character in this movie. I think, you know, what makes Melancholia unforgettable, hands down, is uh, the leads of the movie, Kirsten Dunst and Shirley Gainsbourg. Now, Gainsbourg, as I've mentioned, she's a very, very huge, prolific French-English actress. She's been in a lot of uh, Von Truer movies, a lot of other movies, too. Uh, Kirsten Dunst, though, um, you may have heard of her, just kidding. Um, okay, now you gotta remember, this is 2011. Pre-Melancholia, Kirsten Dunst was really only known for, like, big Hollywood movies. You know, Spider-Man, Bring It On, Jumanji, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Dick. Dick is a friggin' hilarious movie, I, I encourage everyone to check it out. But, you know, she was really only kinda doing, like, movies that had a lot of profit, and... Her performance in Melancholia, like, she was snubbed at the Oscars. She is outstanding in this film. And I remember seeing this for the first time all those years back. I mean, I was so, it's so exciting. This happens with a lot of other actors, too. It's so exciting when a big budget Hollywood actor does a small movie and blows it out of the water, you know? Like I the the other the only other example I can think of is uh, Jim Carrey and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you know, because he's not being Jim Carrey, he's actually just being a different character for once, and he's so good in it. He is such a realistic, well-meaning, well-mean well-meaning yeah that's an adjective yeah character. And in Melancholia, like Dunce erases any old perception that we had of her of being this like. Not that we had a bad, she had a bad reputation or anything. No, not at all. But this was the first time where she really showed her acting chops in such a different way. She showed that she can really take seriously nuanced deep, deep characters and and crush it. That's kind of all I can say. And she won Best Actress at the Cannes Film Festival when this premiered. Oh, the Cannes Film Festival. I have a really cringeworthy story that relates to this movie. Um, If you know this movie already, you know what happened at the Cannes Film Festival with this. But anyway, I'll get to that at the end of this. Yeah, Dunst won Best Actress, and she deserved it. And look at her now. She's now an Academy Award-nominated actress. She was in The Power of the Dog. I know it doesn't make sense when you first watch it, but watch it, and she is phenomenal. And she is now not just... She's not just an actress doing roles that get you a lot of money you know she's doing she's proven now no she's not one of those actors just in it for the money she's in it because she loves to act and she can do it and she's fantastic at it i think you know her her uh the trajectory of her life leading up to melancholia too is just remarkable too because i mean it's it's sad because she filmed Marie Antoinette, in two thousand. that came out in 2006. Then Spider-Man 3 came out in 2007. I think she did like one movie after that. Dunce actually went to, um, and she doesn't talk about this a lot, but she actually went to a clinic for depression. Um, I think she probably just needed a break because she's been in this business since she was a kid. And you know what she did when she came out of uh, that that clinic? Um, Clinic? Rehab? I don't know what it's called. She went and did this movie. Now, ironically, in Melancholia, she plays a very depressed, deeply, deeply depressed woman, um, uh, which is ironic because she had just gotten out for depression. But, I mean, what a story, though. She was in a dark place. She got help. She came out, and she did this movie, and boom, she did an amazing job. Wow. I'm, like, really, like, on edge right now, and I've only had, like, two sips of wine. It's not the wine talking, I swear. This is what happens, guys, when you love movies. You 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 get so freaking like, annoying and, and obsessed. Okay, now look. I'm going to talk about Melancholy and what it's about. But you know what? I'm going to do it. My description of Melancholia, like the description of the synopsis, is going to be a little... I'm going to try and make it a little quicker. Um, also because there's not really a whole ton of little things to say about the synopsis. This movie opens up in with this... Gorgeous, breathtaking, surreal sequence where you see Dunst, uh, Dunst, I'm sorry, I should say, she plays Justine and Gainsbourg, Charlotte Gainsbourg, plays Claire. They're two sisters. When this movie opens up, you see these really gorgeous, slow motion, super, like, artistic, like, painting, almost, shots of all of these crazy things happening. You see birds falling from the sky. You see... Uh, Justine and Claire on this big estate and they're just... They, Claire looks really afraid and she's running but Justine looks really calm and, and, and something's happening in the sky and there's a shot of Justine in a wedding dress and she's floating up a river and that was, it's like a total replica of that famous uh, Ophelia painting. Ophelia from Hamlet. Such a good painting. Um, all these events happen and then you see this big planet collide with Earth. And then suddenly we're cut to the next scene and we see this subtitle, this inner title come up. Part one, Justine. Okay. We uh, find out who Justine is. Justine has just married uh, this very nice guy named Michael. He's played by Alexander Skarsgård. And they have just been married. They're happy. They're trying to get to the wedding party. Um, it's like up this big hill in like the middle of the woods, uh, this really huge estate. Uh, and, you know, they keep trying to get up and they, 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 uh, they can't also, it's like a castle too. I'm sorry. It's not even in the state. It's a castle and, uh, they're getting there. And it's also owned by John. John is played by Kiefer Sutherland. He plays Claire's husband. He's a very testy guy in this movie. And he kind of has a right to be. Why? Because Justine's late to her own wedding party And it's one of the most awkward wedding celebrations ever because you notice that there's something very off with Justine. She's not really smiling a lot. She seems a little bit off. And Claire kind of keeps asking her, like, are you okay? What's going on? And Justine's just like, yeah, like, whatever. But, you know, she keeps going to her room and hiding from everybody. Michael kind of senses this too. And, yeah, something's off. Something's a little bit off, you know. And, again... Other stuff, there's other awkward stuff happening. So Charlotte Rampling and John Hurt, John Hurt, rest in peace. Oh, such a good actor. Uh, They play Justine and Claire's parents and they're kind of like, Gabby's kind of like a bit of a smart ass. You know, she does not like Michael, um, or no, not Michael, I'm sorry. She does not like John at all. And John really doesn't like her. So there's some awkward tension going on already. There's a moment though, that kind of sets everything in motion. So Justine, you know, leaves the party at one point. She gets on this uh, uh, golf cart. She goes off onto the into the field and it's at night. And, you know, you hear that music, that Tristan and his old soundtrack come on. So you know something is going to happen. And Justine just looks up into the sky and there are just all these stars there. You don't really see anything, but she just looks up, and it's such a. Oh, she's so good in this movie. Dunce just has this expression of both curiosity and and almost like a like like a like a psychic kind of ability. You know, she just feels like something is going to happen. And when you watch her, when you see her reaction, you're also going, "Yeah, what? What is this? You know, what's going on? Oh, it's weird. It's creepy. It gives you chills. It really, really does give you chills. But Long story short, Justine basically screws up her entire wedding. She ends up sleeping with a guy at the wedding, this guy named Tim, played by uh, this actor named Brady Corbett, I think is how you say his name. He was in 13 with uh, Evan Rachel Wood. such a good movie. Evan Rachel Wood and Holly Hunter. Uh, Yeah, she sleeps with him, and uh, Michael basically gets so fed up at the end of the night from her being depressed, because she's clearly depressed. I mean, she just won't admit it. And he basically leaves her. And Claire is also just basically, like, Justine, like, I just, I hate you so much sometimes. Like, look what you just did. And what's Justine's reaction? Emotionless. She doesn't know how to feel, you know? We now go to part two. Part two, colon, Claire. Oh, boy. So this is set at the same castle, and it's, you know... Uh, Claire and John are living there, and they're living there too with their son uh, named Leo, this little boy. Uh, Justine comes back like in a cab, and she's a mess. She is more than depressed. I mean, she like needs to be hospitalized. Like she is just sleeping in the car. Uh, Claire puts her to bed, puts her to bed, and Justine is just does not get out of bed. And you know, there's a scene that just is like oh, it makes you cringe where. Justine tries to get Claire into a... Or Claire tries to get Justine into a bathtub. And Justine cannot even get in. She's literally like, No! Like, cannot even lift her legs to go in. Oh my god, it's so real. It's so real. And... Anyway, this is where we find out that there is a planet that allegedly is going to go right past planet Earth. Um, it's a rogue planet. It's called Melancholia. Uh, John is like really obsessed with it and Claire is really afraid of it. You know, she doesn't want this coming. Justine is calm about it. There's a moment um, a phenomenal scene in the movie. That's not like exploitative at all where it's, it's at night and Claire leaves the castle. And again, that Tristan and these old music comes on and she is walking around this like Creek and she sees Justine and Justine is butt naked Lying on these rocks, staring up at uh melancholia, the planet, and just staring at it naked, like embracing it, you know. And she's like touching her body and she's just staring at the planet, like it's like it's like her face is just like, I love you, you know. Her face is just like, come to me. I just, it, oh, it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment. I remember watching this with my sister, though, and my sister just went, What? Yeah, <laughs> like I said, um, look, Von Trier movies are, are uh, definitely out there. But some weird things start to happen, though, on the estate. Like some weird weather phenomenon starts to happen. The horses go crazy on the estate. It starts to, like, rain when it shouldn't rain. It rains randomly. All this stuff starts happening. Um, uh, these, like, fires start to, like, kind of happen out of nowhere. And it, It's night. And the four of them, uh, John, Claire, Justine and Leo, you know, they're all outside and they're all ready to watch melancholia go past Earth. And it does that. And Claire is like, yes, good. We're going to survive. Good, good, good. The next day, uh, she can't find John. It turns out she ends up finding John uh, dead in the farm. He died by overdosing on pills and she's like, what happened? And she she finds, she she gets this little like metal ring thing that uh, uh, John and I think Leah, I forget who makes it in the movie, but they make it so that they can look up in the sky. They can point to the sky and see how close Melancholia is. And Claire uh, gets it and she, she uses it. And Melancholia is 10 times closer to Earth than it was. What happened? Well, it orbited back around. It did a little loop. It did a little uh, U-turn. And now it's coming back and they're all screwed. They're all gonna die. Now this is very important because this is not like Independence Day. This is not a movie, a four hour movie with like a ton of characters. This is just a movie with, right now it's only two sisters. One of them is very calm, one of them is terrified and it's uh, the son, Leo. So when the movie ends, um, Justine seemingly calms Claire down and basically tells her, like, it's okay, we're all going to die, but I'm here with you, your son's here with you. They set up this little um, fort, like, made of trees. It's kind of like like a little, like, teepee, and they set it up on this field. And the planet gets closer and closer and closer, and it's coming closer, and, and Claire is just crying, and she's horrified, and Justine is just smirking in a way I mean she is just so calm about everything and then the planet hits earth they are eviscerated boom the movie ends wow holy I mean I just want to go watch the movie right now too I really really do the ending of this movie it is one of the greatest endings I've ever seen in any movie I want to apologize to you if you hear drums it's there are drums outside can you hear them Yeah, they're really freaking loud. Well, look, it kind of makes sense because, I mean, there's... No, it doesn't make sense. There are no drums in Melancholia. I don't know why I said that. So it's a simple... For me, like, even when I first saw this, the most simple and obvious thing in Melancholia is this. Justine is a representation of Melancholia and Claire is a representation of Earth. It's very simple. Justine is calm because the planet doesn't care about hitting another planet and killing people. And Claire is not depressed and she's just, you know, understandably scared, you know? And there's something about that difference between the sisters and the fact that they actually get closer at the end that is very moving. I think that's one of the most moving things about Melancholia. There's other things too. I mean, there are so many symbols in this movie and almost like allegories. There's a lot of religious allegory. There are a lot of religious allegories in this film and I couldn't even capture catch all of them, probably because I'm not Christian and I, I just don't know a lot. I don't even think Von Trier is um, a, a religious person, but he uh, definitely loves his symbolism in his movies. There's a lot of that here. There's a lot of metaphors, you know, in the beginning of the movie, the limousine that uh, uh, Michael and Justine are in, they can't get it up the hill to get to the, the castle where the party is. It's like a 10 minute scene where they just cannot get the limousine up. Why is that? It's kind of like they can't, in a way... How do I say this? Because there's another scene, too, this, like, happens twice, where there are these horses that Justine and Claire are riding, and they're they're riding them through the woods, and then these horses, they get to this little bridge, and the horses won't cross the bridge. They just won't. They're neighing, and they're going crazy, and they won't cross it. And I read somewhere, too, because I thought about that for a while, and I think a big... what that kind of means is that it's kind of like you can't escape your fate. You know, the horses and Claire are wanting to get away from the planet. They can't escape it. You know, you can't escape it. I think even in the beginning, it's like, we don't want the beginning to happen because Michael's so nice. And we know that Justine is is probably going to get into a lot of trouble and ruin this relationship and it's almost like the car not the limousine not being able to get up. It's 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 like a weird sort of hidden there's like a hidden meaning there, you know? It's like foreshadowing in a way. It's 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 like the car in a way is like going, No, no, don't! I don't wanna go up. No, it's it's just gonna get worse from here, you know? Yeah. I don't know if there's actually a parallel between that and the horses. <laughs> I just kind of thought about that on the spot, but Man, oh man, this movie though, I, I just, if you if you can't tell enough, I mean, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. Now, I will briefly say this. Okay, yes, this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Amazing. Um, critics love this movie. It was on a lot of top 10 lists when it came out. Uh, like I said, Dunst won Best Actress. During the Q&A for this movie, Von Trier made a joke, a joke, quote unquote, where he said, quote, what can I say? I understand Hitler. And when he said this quote, Dunce is sitting right next to him, and the look Dunce gives him is literally like, what? The look that she has is like, I'm going to punch you in the freaking face. What are you talking about? Now, von Trier does not let it up, and he keeps trying to make this joke about liking Hitler and sympathizing with him. And he, he's he's joking. That's what he's saying. But he just goes on and on and dunce, like her face just gets so red. And eventually, you know, he finally stopped and very justifiably so. The Cannes Film Festival uh, banned him from the rest of the festival during that week. And they declared him, quote, a persona non grata. And it's so funny, too, because they even interviewed Dunce later. I think after she won her award, they interviewed her on camera. And she basically said, I'm really sorry about, Von, you know, Lars. He was being an idiot. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but thanks for, like, letting me win Best Actress. I mean, for real. She actually, um, Penelope Cruz was actually originally cast, but she um, dropped out to be in Pirates of the Caribbean. She was going to play Justine. She wouldn't have done a good job, though. I mean, Penelope Cruz is great. Don't get me wrong. But this was, this was Dunce's movie hands down. Oh my God. So what is the moral of Melancholia? Oh my God. Um. I think as a viewer, as an aspiring filmmaker, if you're watching this and you love movies and you want to make movies, uh, the moral of this movie is make movies like Melancholia. <laughs> I mean, for real, I'm serious. You get great cinematography. You get, you get a simple plot that has a lot of really deep depth in it, deep depth, that, I never, That make no, you, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. If you make a movie with a story that has a lot of depth, but the story is also very simple at the same time, and you can do that in a movie, and you can get a great cast, you can make a movie like Melancholia. You can make a movie that is this outstanding and like flawless, and you can do it. Now, In the movie, though, what is the moral of melancholia? Oh, God. I think the moral is that we're all going to die and it's going (laughs) to suck. Yeah, the moral, I guess, is uh, death is imminent. It's like what Justine says in the movie. Life is only on Earth and not for long. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when is this episode coming out? I think it's a Wednesday. Okay, it'd be kind of awkward if this was a Friday episode and that was the last words of uh, of the of the week <laughs> of, the, of the podcast for this week. Uh, oh my God, where can you watch Melancholia? Now, Melancholia, I actually own this on Blu Ray, and uh, before you even watch the movie, you should just go and buy it on Blu Ray too because it's it's that amazing. Um, you can watch this on YouTube and you can watch it on Amazon Prime but you have to have a Magnolia Pictures subscription account. Magnolia Pictures is the studio that did Melancholia. They're a great studio. They do a lot of fantastic indies. If you don't want to do that though you can rent it on other platforms like Redbox or Apple TV. Rent it, rent it, rent it. I cannot recommend this movie enough. This may be one of my favorite movies from, I know uh, we're almost at the 50 mark right now. We have a few more episodes until we get to uh, movie 50, which I don't know what it's going to be. I have to do the calculations for that, but uh, or I have to just double check that. But man, yeah, this was a lot. I really hope that I educated you all on Lars von Trier and this movie. See it, see it, see it, see it, and I guarantee you will be amazed. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Oh, my God. <clears throat> it would just take a sip of my wine right now. I'm getting really hungry, too, right now. Oh, shit. That is fresh. <laughs> Bridesmaids quote, 2011. 2011 was a friggin' amazing year for movies. I just have to say that again. I say that all the friggin' time, too. Uh Okay. Thank you all for tuning in. I will shut up now. Thank you all for tuning in to another episode. If I'm reviewing here, new episodes are Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Unless I can't find a movie, which is bound to happen. The next movie I actually cannot find anywhere. So we may have the next, uh, we may have Friday off. I may have Friday off, that is. Uh, but don't forget to review and subscribe. Leave a good review. If I'm enjoying, if, if, if I'm, uh, if you're enjoying, if you're enjoying me, and I'm entertaining and I'm not annoying enough, even though I know that's impossible because I I annoy myself all the time, please leave a review. Don't forget to uh, tell people about it. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'm Reviewing Here. You can follow me personally at Mabussy, B-U-S-S-Y. It's my last name. Don't joke. I get it. It's funny. Ha ha. Uh, You can also follow me. uh, Subscribe to I'm Reviewing Here on YouTube. Simple at I'm Reviewing Here. New episodes drop the same day as the podcast, and I will see you next time. Goodbye, and be safe, and if a planet is going to come to Earth, uh, just, just get ready. Yeah. Oh, I had a joke there, but I lost it. Okay.